Psalm 88 O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. As I prepare this script, we are moving toward the third week of Advent, a week that has traditionally focused our attention on the theme of joy. My name is Joy, and yet I have often felt that there is something terribly ironic about being called Joy every day of your life. Joy is not a territory in which I spend a lot of time. The territory where I do find myself much of the time can feel almost like the opposite of joy. Some people might think of it as despair, but that isn't exactly the right word, because I don't quite despair. It might be more accurate to say that I live in the land of lamentation. But I have come to understand that joy and sorrow are not so very divorced from one another as we might suppose. We can have joy in the midst of our sorrow, and even joy that comes out of our sorrow, but the root to such joy often comes by way of lament. Our expectations around experiencing joy at Christmas time sometimes lead us to overlook the importance of lament. I appreciate the way that Bobby Gross has ordered the devotions in his book Living the Christian Year. Week two of Advent is titled How Long, O Lord? and it guides the reader through texts like Habakkuk, where lament is a central theme. Importantly, the process of lamentation comes before turning to the theme of joy in the third week of Advent. This may seem like a strange way to prepare for Christmas, but I want to read through this psalm of lament with you today and think about how we live obediently when we're in pain. This is not a typical evangelical message. We generally prefer to focus on the positives, the hope of the gospel, and the joy of knowing God. After all, euangelion, or gospel, means good news. And there are times when following God does seem joyful and easy, times when we seem to have a clear vision of what he is doing, when we can say, yes, God, I see what you're doing here. I'm so glad to be a part of your plan. But how do we live into our call to follow him when the way seems terrible to us? When we are burdened by pain and we don't see any meaning in it, what do we do then? 
Most of the psalms are a lot like our own prayers. They alternate between reflection on the struggles of the author's present circumstances and the glory of God and his ability to rescue. Throughout the psalms, a pattern of struggle and hope is pretty constant. But there are a couple of psalms that don't follow this pattern. In these psalms, the struggles of the present dominate the whole story. These psalms of lament give us words to pray when we have no words of our own. Today I'd like to walk through Psalm 88 with you and reflect on the process of lament as we anticipate the coming of the Lord. The psalm begins, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. First and foremost, the prayer of lament is a way of crying out to God, and it recognizes who God is, the one who saves. This is a persistent prayer, day and night I cry out before you, and it calls God to listen. The psalmist continues, For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. When we are overcome with suffering, we feel the nearness of death. Suffering exposes our weakness, and suffering is embodied. Our souls suffer, our bodies suffer, our minds too. We suffer as whole human beings. I think we have a tendency to compartmentalize and to disengage the various parts of our being from each other. Suffering makes us one again. We suffer as a whole human being, heart, body, soul. Continuing at verse 6, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Notice the accusations. You have put me in the lowest pit. You have overwhelmed me. You have taken from me. Do we dare to address God in this way? The psalmist does. Does that make it okay? I think that in making these accusations to God, the writer is actually acknowledging the power of the Almighty. I don't believe that God wants evil for us, and the Bible is clear that evil doesn't come from God, but I do believe that nothing comes my way that is not allowed by God. He is all-powerful. He is mighty to save. He can protect me from evil and does on a regular basis in all kinds of ways except for when he doesn't. So when he doesn't, I can come before him and state my complaint. But note the very next line. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. This is not a complaint lodged while standing in judgment over God. This is the complaint of a supplicant who knows his place. Note again the persistence. I call to you every day. And also again, the embodied nature of the plea. I spread out my hands to you. This is a beautiful picture for us of how to come before God. In the next verse, the writer continues, Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness, or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? I love this passage. The psalmist is reasoning with God. 
This reminds me of verse 18 in Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. I always thought God was speaking with such irony, as if we could reason with God. And yet here we see the psalmist take him up on this and try to reason with God. If you don't act soon, Lord, the chance will be past. My death is so near, you need to hurry. Yet even in his urgency and desperation, he recognizes the tasks that belong to him. Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Because that's my job. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness? That's my job. Are your wonders known or your righteous deeds? Save me so that I can make you known. Save me so that I can glorify you. I think of the blind man and the question posed to Jesus in John 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what was Jesus' response? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. When we lament our sufferings before God, do we recognize the work that he has given to us to make his wonders known? Writing about the Psalms of Lament, Dietrich Bonhoeffer explains, The one who suffers sets out to battle against God for God. God's promise, God's previous redemptive deeds, the honor of God's name among all people are again and again held up before the wrathful God. When we come before God with our complaint, do we come with an awareness of the work that belongs to us? In verse 13, the psalmist writes, But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Again, the writer acknowledges his need for God. The Lord is the one who can help. This is how we start the day. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. And now we come to one of the more troubling questions posed in this passage, and yet one that we all must ask at some point. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Does God reject us and hide his face from us? That isn't what I was taught in Sunday school. What happened to, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age? Can these statements be held in tension with such a question? Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? This is not a question we teach our children to ask. It is a question that makes us uncomfortable until we experience this reality. And then we're glad the words are there in the Bible so that we can say them too. Why, O oh Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Medieval Christians had a better handle on this than we do. St. John of the Cross wrote a wonderful text called The Dark Night of the Soul. He explained that sometimes God removes the feeling of his presence so that we can know and love him better for who he is, rather than for how we feel in his presence. Let me say that again. Sometimes God removes the feeling of his presence so that we can know and love him better for who he is rather than for how we feel in his presence. Isn't that a profound message for the church today? There is more to God's glory than how we feel when we worship him. The psalmist concludes, From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. 
The darkness is my closest friend. During one of the most difficult experiences of my life, when I could not find words for prayer, I read this psalm and it was a lifeline for me. I could pray this prayer. The movement of this lament goes down and down and down, and that's where it ends. When we are in the depths of suffering, this psalm is true to reality. What do we do when the holy God we serve is silent and we are in pain? Walter Brueggemann answers this way. He says, Wait. That is what Israel has been doing for a very long time. I suspect that practically and dramatically what one must do is say it over again and again until the speech and the speaker have genuinely reached the bottom. One has two options, either to wait in silence or to speak it again. What one may not do is to rush to an easier psalm or to give up on Yahweh. And aren't those our temptations, to rush to an easier psalm or to give up on God? I know I tend to be tempted to the latter, to giving up on God, but I think in our broader church culture that we generally go for the first one. We want pat, easy answers when there are actually no words. What do we do when the holy God we serve is silent and we are in pain? We bring our lament before God. We persist in bringing our lament before God. We bring it again and again. This is what it means to be the people of God. We speak to him and we keep on speaking to him, even when the response is silence. Bonhoeffer writes about the purpose of psalms like this one. He says, The psalms of lament are concerned with full community with the God who is righteousness and love. Full community with the God who is righteousness and love. This is about life. It is about the fullness of life the fullness of life with God. If we gloss over this experience of darkness and go for those easier psalms, then we will miss out on full community with the God who is righteousness and love. I hope you don't find yourself in the depths of this psalm very often. But when you do, I hope you find this psalm. I hope you call on God again and again. Accuse him. Acknowledge your dependency on him. Ask him your questions. Ask him why. Persist. Pray this psalm again and again and wait patiently on the Lord. Advent is all about waiting. Much of our experience of anticipating Christmas comes with a great deal of hope and joy. But sometimes hope and joy are found by way of sorrow and lament. Psalm 88 offers us a pathway to prayer in the deepest darkness of our sufferings.